How's it going, everyone? Morning. How's everybody going online? Industry 4.0 community. We are live. Audio good, Zach? We're just doing an audio check. So if you guys can hear us okay, please, please let us please let us know in the chat that you can hear hear me talking okay. Specifically, Cheryl McCrary. Hey, Cheryl, we're in your um, your stomping grounds. Actually, we're in Scottsdale right now. We're going live a bit early. Awesome. Anders is the audio. Anders, Anders is the audio good. Excellent. All right, perfect. All right, so I'm going to play another video, gang. So I'm going to I'm going to come off the stream. And then we're gonna we're gonna start at 45, but I'm gonna play a, a video while these guys are walking in. Welcome. Tell yeah, let Rafi. Hey Rafi, there won't be a screen view because I'm actually gonna be giving a presentation. Uh, he's saying he can't see the screen. There, Rafi, there isn't a whole lot up on the the screen that you're gonna care about. Um, I'm mostly gonna be speaking. Um, and it, and any of the slides I show to the audience, it's stuff you've already seen before. All right, here we go. Zach, you're good on the stream? Yes, you are. That didn't sound, that didn't sound convincing. Okay. What is Industry 4.0? Industry 4.0 is the place in time we're at right now. Industry 4.0 is the movement. And yes, Industry 4.0 is the fourth industrial revolution. Looks good. You happy? Is the audience happy? Awesome. Thank you. 
Make sure you uh, keep track of the questions on the. Okay. Ready to go. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Doing well? Yeah. Did you hear good things about yesterday, hopefully? Okay, great. Good. Awesome. Great. Hopefully, Scott's happy as well with the outcome. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, and Carrie gave me good feedback, so <clears throat> this should hopefully drive it home right here. Uh, we are live streaming, so um, so we have our whole Industry 4.0 community will be watching today. Um, we, we did clear that with Carrie before, beforehand, um, so I won't touch on anything that's bound by like an NDA or anything like that. So. Looks good. Yeah. I think they can hear you. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's fine. I want them to hear. They get a, it's a, a good background noise. They want to know where we're at. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them. I'm gonna do the intro. I'll I'll let uh, the audience, the, those of you watching on YouTube, where we're at. I'll shout out to the sponsors, all that stuff. You guys will know everything here. We're gonna start in. Let us know where you're joining from the chat. Yeah, let us know where you're joining from in the chat. Um, but we're we're gonna get started here at 45. Forty-five. Okay. 
Is it or not execute recommended operational adjustments? Is it uh, 45 yet? All right, let's get started. Take a seat, people. I know you guys are hungover from last night. What Industry 4.0 actually is, it is not a buzzword, it is the movement. Hmm. <sighs> All right. Great job, Zach, on that video. All right, can we close the door back there and let's get started. So let me start by saying hi to all you who are watching us online. Um, there'll be about 10,000 people actually in the industry who will watch this keynote address uh, over the course of the next 14 days. Uh, the 80 or so of you who are in the room, the message today is for you, um, but the whole industry is gonna benefit from it, all right? Um, how many people heard about the presentation that we did with the suppliers yesterday? Raise your hand, please. Okay. Did anybody hear anything bad about the presentation yesterday? Excellent. All right, so this conversation is going to be uncomfortable. So let me just lay that out for you. I'm going to use language that's designed to evoke an emotional response and to get your attention. So just let me lay that down. Um, if anyone wants to get up and leave the presentation, please do that quietly. Okay. Um, all right, so let's get started. I want to start by a big thank you to our sponsors. So um, for those of you online joining us, we are at the IBC National Conference in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are at the Scottsdale at McCormick Ranch. A big thank you to this um, convention center and resort, um, specifically the AV guy who set up the live stream for us. Exceptional work by the group. He got a hefty tip for that. Okay, uh, IBC is the Industrial Buyers Consortium. Is that the last, is, what's the C? Okay, oh, yeah. the Industrial Buyers Consortium. It's made up of suppliers, distributors, and wholesalers, right? And this, this group today, came to, this, this week, came together to talk about the future of supply chain, right? Um, everyone wants to know what IBC is doing to prepare you guys for the transition to a completely new economy. Now, I'm gonna tell you what they're doing. I actually didn't learn until yesterday. Right? I do no research before I go and speak. I don't allow my team to brief me. I basically give myself four hours to learn everything I possibly can about the people I'm gonna to speak to. And I do that for a reason. If A, I don't like people very much, so it forces me to talk to people, number one. Um, I don't do, you notice I haven't joined you at any of the events or anything like that. I'm not a small talk person, okay? Uh, so number one, it makes me do that, right? But number two, it gives me an opportunity to ask you real probing questions. Like what are the real problems? What are your real fears? Are you aware of the bus that's about to hit you? Do you know you're driving off a cliff? Okay, so hopefully I have everyone's attention because you are driving off a cliff. Every person in this room, your organizations are, okay? 
This is the most important conversation you are going to hear this year and in the next year. It's not like any keynote you've ever heard before, I promise you, okay? Five years from now, every single person in this room will look back on this moment. There will be two groups of people from this moment. There will be those who say, this was the keynote address that set us on the path to viability long-term in a global economy that's fully digital. And then there will be those of you who look back on this moment and say, man, we fucked up, okay? You don't wanna hear this. Most of you are not gonna be happy when you look back on this moment, unfortunately. The data is very clear, okay? In manufacturing, 11 out of 12 manufacturers in the United States today will either get acquired or go out of business in the next 10 or 11 years. 11 out of 12, absolute empirical certainty. Does that shock anybody? Yeah? It shouldn't. 13 years ago, the smartphone didn't exist. Right now, I can ask any person in this room, what is your net worth, and you can tell me. You can tell me where your kids are, you can tell me the temperature in your house. You can make travel plans. You can read emails. You can get to any piece of data that you need to get to in your personal life like that. And there are companies, manufacturers specifically, have, who have already leveraged that technology to take over the world. There are suppliers who are doing the same thing. And there are distributors who are doing the same thing. And there are wholesalers who are doing the same thing. All right, got everyone's attention? All right, awesome. So let's say thanks to the sponsors, IBC and Canary Labs. Canary Labs is a industrial historian. They're sponsoring the live stream. They're actually sponsoring our channel for this month. All of the content that we do, all the live streams that we do every Tuesday from like 12 to one or whatever it is, I do a live stream answering questions for Industry 4.0. Canary Labs is sponsoring all that this year. If you don't know Canary Labs, please look them up. You're all gonna need a historian at some point. If you don't think you need a historian at some point, I didn't do my job. All right, the overview, there are two types of companies in this room, okay? And you're gonna remember this presentation for better or worse, okay? That's the overview. What we're gonna talk about today is Industry 3.0, Industry 4.0, and our goal is to present to you what supply chain 4.0 is. So who am I? Let's start with who I am and why should you listen to me? Um, well, you should listen to me because most of the companies in the Fortune 100 and the Fortune 500 use me and my team to architect their plans of the future. And you're gonna be selling to all of them. I took a speaking fee of one third my normal fee to come here and speak to you to save your companies. That is the truth. That is the truth. Our team has a very unique insight into the future of who you're gonna be selling to, distributors specifically, okay? Our mission is to save and create middle-class jobs in the United States, okay? I grew up in upstate New York in the 1980s. I'm from Dallas, was born in Dallas, moved to New York in the uh, 1982. So my mom was murdered when I was seven years old 
And uh, me and my brother found her. And then I got adopted by a family in New York. So I have the, I have the unique benefit of experiencing the worst thing I was ever going to experience in my entire life when I was seven. And so that made it so that all throughout my career, all of the normal internal politics stuff, the fear of losing a job, all those things didn't apply to me. So I would say things no one else would say. I would try things no one else would try. I would test things no one else would test. Okay? During the 1980s, during the third industrial revolution, which started in the 1970s, but didn't really take over until 1980, what, it ha what happened in the Rust Belt? New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. What happened to manufacturing in those areas? Right. Why did manufacturing leave the Northeast? Right, we got unions, we have money, we have inefficiency. Regulations. What if I told you it was a lack of vision? So in the 1980s, all of my friends' parents went from middle class and upper middle class jobs, right? So I, were, I grew up in the area where Corning Glass is, Ithaca Gun, Borg Warner Automotive. That's where I grew up, okay? Right in the heart of the state. And all my friends' parents went from middle class and upper middle class jobs to working on farms and gas stations, like literally in like a four-year window. Okay, Magna moved. Kodak decided that that camera he's taking a picture with was never, no one was ever going to want to use that. They went to North Carolina. They went to Mexico. They went to China. Right, and devastated the Northeast. I still own a home in upstate New York, a summer place up there. I own a house in Dallas, too, sort of. The house that I own in upstate New York is worth the exact same amount today as it was when I bought it 20 years ago. The exact same amount. Hasn't changed at all. No appreciation. All the smart kids, the 150 IQ and plus, like me, moved away. And who's left in upstate New York? The people just holding on. So I spent my freshman year at an Ivy League school, and I was miserable because I was a poor kid a bunch of, amongst a bunch of rich kids. So I transferred to North Carolina, NC State, and I studied sociology. And I learned in the 90s that it wasn't corporate greed that took all those jobs away. I took uh, two different sociology courses in employment, and I learned the companies in the Northeast made the mistake of having no vision. And they were forced to chase cheap labor. Because during the third industrial revolution, they didn't leverage technology to do more with less. It wasn't the unions, and it wasn't corporate greed. I sit on six corporate boards. I meet with $25 million a year guys all the time. And every single one of them that I've ever met cares about their employees. They don't want to be the person that destroys a community. They lose sleep about it. And that's the truth.
companies didn't do what they should have done in the 1980s to save American jobs. We have to make sure companies don't repeat that mistake right now. And this whole presentation is about getting you to go back to your companies. If you're the owner, the president, walk out that door and do something about it. There will be a call to action at the end of this presentation. If you're not the, the decision maker, you go back and talk to the decision maker. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay. After I graduated from college, I got a job working in a salt mine as a laborer in upstate New York. A laborer. Spent all that money in my education, I was shoveling belts. But I got lucky. When I was in college, I had to put myself through college, I got a job working in an arcade, fixing pinball machines and stuff. In order for me to be able to do that, I had to learn how to work on five volt DC systems. So I got two months of training in Georgia. I learned how to read IEC drawings, which are international standard drawings the Germans use, and five volt DC systems. I could read a wiring diagram. My supervisor, who I'm gonna give a, call, a shout out to, he's still a mentor for me to this day, a guy named Joe Rolf. He was the maintenance supervisor. He saw on my resume that I knew how to read these drawings. We had this new automated equipment, this new automated mining equipment from Germany that nobody could work on. We had a roof bolter. If anyone's been in a mine, you have to actually bolt the roof up or it'll fall on you, okay? We had a roof bolter that was all automated. It was all industry 3.0, okay? Remote control, automated, electrical over hydraulic, and it hadn't run in a year. A $600,000 piece of equipment that hadn't run in a year. Not because there weren't smart electricians in that plant, or in that mine, but because they didn't have any experience using the technology that the Germans were using to build this equipment. So he sent me out with this electrician, and for three days, we troubleshot this roof bolter together. Well, not really. On day one, we, we troubleshot it together. My job was to just read the drawings for him. That's it. He gave up on day one. On day two, I drove back in the pickup truck. This guy who shovels belts and knows how to read IEC drawings. And I, the night before, I went on America Online and I looked up everything. Yes, it was that long ago. I went on America Online and I looked up everything I could find out about PLCs, programmable logic controllers. Anybody heard of those things? Okay. That's industry 3.0. I read everything I possibly could about PLCs. And I went in the next day, and I knew one little piece of information more to help fix this machine. And I labored through it for the whole shift, and then I went home. Then I looked up how to troubleshoot, um, uh, how, to, how to ring out cables to try to find a short in a cable bundle. That was on America Online as well. I went in the next day, and six hours in, I pushed the start button on the remote. I found a short in a wire. Um, and I just used a spare, and I hit start, and it drilled up into the ceiling, and it worked. $600,000 saved, just like that. And guess what happened? Overnight, I became the SMAG expert in that plant. So I spent five years doing an electrical apprenticeship, and I went back to school to get a degree in electrical engineering. I found my calling. So now, I had observed all the jobs leaving the Northeast in the 1980s. I learned why in the 1990s, and I learned how I could stop it 
in 2000. And for the last 21 years, I've dedicated my life to making sure that when the fourth industrial revolution came along, America would end up on top. That's why I took a third of my speaking fee to be here today. Because after the last three years of us educating the community, it is time to talk to the suppliers and the distributors. Okay? That's what we're gonna do today, all right? Any questions? Anybody wanna get up and leave? If you do, I have not done my job correctly. <laughs> uh, real quick, uh, what do we do? So I'm uh, an entrepreneur, I own 49 companies now. Um, five of those companies are in industrial automation. Uh, two of those companies are focused on industry 4.0 and helping organizations transform. So the key things that we do, our team, and by the way, our team is watching the live stream right now. Zach is our digital media strategist. Uh, you should leave here and go hire a digital media strategist. That's part of Industry 4.0, okay? If you are not doing digital content, then you don't exist. So that will be item number one. If we're not doing digital content, we don't exist. You wanna put those, that in your notes, okay? We do Industry 4.0 Digital Transformation Maturity Assessments. So from the supplier meeting yesterday, there were a couple of suppliers who reached out to me. They emailed me and said, hey, can you help us do our digital strategy? You'll learn all about digital strategy later on in the presentation. The answer is yes. Part of what we do is we evaluate organizations, we lay out a path for them to achieve their digital goals. We focus on people first, we focus on technology, we focus on sound architecture, and then we lay out the path. So that's one thing we do. We do Industry 4.0 Solutions Architecture. I promise you if, you, if you list off a big manufacturer in the world, they are our client. The biggest Industry 4.0 implementations have been designed by our team. We have a very unique insight into who you're gonna be selling to, who you should be selling to. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna ask a question right after this. I'm predicting the answer. I'm gonna tell you right now, there's not a single company in this room who is qualified to sell to the plant of the future. None. And the reason I know that is because we write the minimum technical requirements for you to be a supplier or a distributor in a plant of the future. Who here has a digital strategy? So you, who here can articulate to me their organization's digital strategy? And for those of you online, there's 80 or so people in the room and I think we have 50 companies represented, something like that. Good, 50. My guess is the answer is zero. Actually, I know it's zero. Does anybody know what a digital strategy is? All right, now you should be terrified because I should have been able to answer, ask that question five years ago and you give me that answer. The, 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 epiphany, the epiphany moment I had yesterday was in Scott, what's Scott's last name? Bodega or something like that? What is it? Babanic. There you go. So I sat through Scott's Babanic presentation on IBC Connect 101 yesterday. 
I'm going to show you a slide later on in this presentation, okay? And Scott pointed out there was a call to action. This is when he was presenting to the distributors. He said, you know, we have resistance among the suppliers to join IBC Connect in all the ways you can benefit from IBC Connect, right? It, it looked like you tiered it, right? There were multiple ways, right? And he made this call to action. Hey, distributors, you need to go talk to these suppliers. I sat there thinking, I wouldn't fucking work with those suppliers. <laughs> I'm telling you, I got to be honest with you. And, and forgive my language. I, people always tell me all the time, but it, I'm from New York, for goodness sakes, please. Um, those are five suppliers who lack vision. Full stop, period. And you have to tell them that. IBC Connect is the ecosystem you should be connecting to. I'm not being paid to say that. I didn't know what IBC Connect was until yesterday morning. You guys want to know what IBC is doing. They're doing a hell of a lot. Their biggest challenge is getting their members to adopt what they're doing. And I learned that yesterday morning, too. Through observation. Carrie didn't tell me a single word to say in this presentation. Um, the president, and um, he didn't tell me a single word. I, sorry, I forgot your name. Um, Scott didn't tell me a single word. This is my presentation. IBC is doing a lot to try and help you transform your businesses. I'm going to make the case for why you should listen to them, and then I'm going to give you three action items, okay? And then we're going to offer help if you need it. Who here uses IBC Connect? Not enough hands. Not enough hands. From this moment forward, I want you to think of IBC Connect as an ecosystem. I want you to think of everything that IBC is doing digitally as an ecosystem for its members. Every time you say IBC, digital tool, whatever, ecosystem. Okay. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Zach, those watching online, are they? Okay, awesome. The importance of a digital strategy. Who here plans their vacation before they go on it? Not enough hands. <laughs> we all plan our vacations before we go on it. Why? What's the reason we plan a vacation before we hop in the car or drive to the airport? Right? You don't want the hotels to be booked. So you can look forward to it. Could you imagine what a nightmare it would be if you went on vacation with no plan? Vacations are already stressful when you plan for them. The reason we plan for our vacations is to make it easy and seamless and fulfilling and so that we can get the value out of it, right? Digital strategy is the same thing for an organization. It's three sentences. This is how we're going to use digital technology to improve our business and our customers' experience. That's all it is. And yet, all the smart people in this room and the smart people who run the companies you work for haven't put that together yet. And it should have existed five years ago. Number two, 
For the suppliers who have already heard this part, so I did a, an abbreviated part of the presentation yesterday for just the suppliers, um, please don't answer. <laughs> Why are Amazon and Tesla so awesome? Well, actually, let's, let's agree. Amazon and Tesla are awesome, correct? Does anybody think they're not awesome? Why are they so awesome? You can get yourself an idea. Okay. They got all your information. Got all your information? Any other reason? Why is, why is Amazon so awesome? What's so amazing about Amazon? It's easy. Right. 33% of all Americans can make a purchase on Amazon.com right now and receive that item within 24 hours. Or within two hours. Actually, let me back up. 33% can receive within two hours. 67%, give or take, can receive anything they purchase within 24 hours. And 99% of the American population can receive anything they want from Amazon at the best price, delivered to their front door in 48 hours. 99%. How did Amazon do that? What if I told you that, uh, what's your name in the middle right there? The lady, the lady, what is it? Carrie. Carrie. You use Amazon? Okay. 60 days from Michael Brown from Amazon Web Services, I hope is on the stream listening to this. So Michael Brown is a world-class, world-famous solutions architect for, for Amazon on the web services side. Michael and I talk about this all the time. 60 days from today, Carrie, you're gonna make a purchase on Amazon, okay? It's going to get to your door two days later, and Amazon already knows you're going to buy it. They don't know Carrie's going to buy it, but they know someone in Carrie's neighborhood is going to buy it with 99% accuracy. Doesn't that blow anyone's mind? They use data and information clean data and information, running through the most powerful algorithms in the world, machine learning algorithms, to predict likely outcomes. And then they're so confident in those predictions, they just go ahead and order $200,000. The tooling guy here told me a story about Amazon purchasing $200,000, two of them, two units with no guarantee that someone was gonna buy it. You know why Amazon's able to do that? Vision. Jeff Bezos is not a great businessman. He hires great businessmen. Jeff Bezos is a world-class visionary. In 2002, he sent a famous email out to his entire organization at two o'clock in the morning. You can look this email up. I'm assuming some of the suppliers did because I told this story yesterday. In 2002, he sent this email out at two o'clock in the morning and he said, we share entirely too much data and information via email, via spreadsheets, via phone call. That's gonna stop right now. 
tomorrow morning, effective 8 a.m., you can't share information that way anymore. You're gonna build web services. You're gonna build digital tools that are standardized to interoperate with the rest of the business. And over the course of the next 18 months, they turned over 11% of all their workforce because there were people who still emailed spreadsheets and they didn't work at Amazon anymore. That decision, that decision turned into Amazon Web Services, it turned into 24-hour delivery, it turned into two-hour delivery, it turned into one-hour delivery. That visionary decision in 2002. Okay? Why is Tesla so awesome? They make a great product. Does anybody here own a Tesla? I, I was actually stunned that no one in the supplier group owned a Tesla. Who, anybody here own a Tesla? Why did you buy a Tesla? I was, uh, I was intrigued by the technology and seemed to be a cost effect. So I was right around the prices of gas, sky high. I'm going to hold on to car forever. Right? Here's why Tesla's amazing. When I bought, I have a Ford F-250, right? A big 5.7 liter diesel that I tow my RV with, right? I drive a Cadillac XDS as my sedan, right? Those cars, when I bought them, uh, a couple years ago, I think I bought my truck last year, my Cadillac a couple years ago. Today, they are exactly the same car I drove off the lot, but they're worth less. But the Model S, I'm assuming, right? You bought Model S? The Model S that you bought is not the same car you drove off the lot. It's better. Tesla is awesome because they make products that get better after the consumer buys them. How do they do that? Software updates. Software updates is exactly, that's the implementation, right? That's how they make it happen. How do they know what to update? No, that's the way you guys do it. Tesla doesn't do it that way. Tesla doesn't talk to people. That's right. The product tells them what's wrong. They collect data from everyone in a standard way. Every single Tesla on the road, the cameras, the, every time you slam on the brakes, every time you mash it, how many people are trying to see my Model S will go zero to 60 in less than two seconds? <laughs> and, and how often will they do it? And when you picked up your, how long you had it? Okay, so I don't know if it was this way back then. Do you, if you guys go and buy a Tesla, which I encourage you to do, or Rivian, um, you will never talk to a person. So I bought a Model Y, okay, and I, I keep taking these $500 credits every month because of the supply chain issues, which is why I'm here to talk to you guys, okay? I'm gonna take delivery in December. And when I go get my Model Y, I'm gonna to walk to a lot with an app running on my phone. And when I get near my car, the door's gonna open. 
And then I'm going to sit in the driver's seat and I'm going to go through some training on the, the touchpad. And I'm going to sign a piece of paper over here. I'm going to drop it in a little box and I'm going to drive off the lot. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. You have a person, I think, right? There's a person in the booth or whatever, right? And, and by the way, I think in California, it's the same thing. Um, I live in Texas. And we're <laughs> regulations are a no go where I live. So uh, Tesla is awesome because they make products that get better after you buy them. And they're only able to achieve that because they leverage data and information to improve their products. Can any of you tell me the current state of your business right now? Can you tell me which person in your organization is the most efficient? Which SKU is the most profitable today? Can you tell me what you're gonna sell four weeks from now with 99% accuracy? If the answer is no, then you are in a shit ton of trouble. And I, I promise you, you need to listen to me. Okay? What is Industry 4.0? What I'm going to do is lay out an argument for why you should walk out those doors terrified and encouraged, okay, with a plan to transform your organizations. That's the goal today. At any point during the presentation, just stop me. Got a question? You don't even need to raise your hand. Just yell it out. This is all organic. You guys will notice this is not a PowerPoint presentation. That's because I don't allow PowerPoint presentations in any of my companies. It's actually a zero tolerance policy. If you bring a PowerPoint presentation to a meeting, you'll be terminated, okay? PowerPoint is useless. Why is it useless? Because it only tells me, just like resumes are useless, res a great resume only tells me that you're good at writing a resume. It doesn't tell me what you're good at other than writing a resume. I still haven't found the company that sells resumes, okay? PowerPoint presentations are the exact same way. It only tells me that you're really good at, create, at leveraging PowerPoint to, use smoke, to do smoke and mirrors. You can make a great PowerPoint presentation, a great PowerPoint presentation that doesn't tell you anything, okay? So we're gonna talk about Industry 4.0. Does anybody, anybody familiar with this terminology? Okay, you're familiar? Anybody else? Has anybody else heard Industry 4.0? All right. Can someone give me the definition of Industry 4.0? It's the seamless uh, information, sharing information. Uh, uh, you're basically anything from your refrigerator, talking to you, to everything else intertwined, all by uh, the concrete. Internet of Things. Internet of Things. Yep. You guys have heard of the Internet of Things? Yes. Okay. Is everybody clear on what the Internet of Things is? All right. So this Epson um, projector is not an Internet of Thing. It can't tell me anything about itself. Anything that can connect to a network and tell me something about itself is a thing in the Internet of Things. It's that simple. The companies you've been listening to are making it far too complicated for you, right? I'm a technical guy. I'm an engineer, right? I have a, did my graduate work in education. 
did my undergraduate work in sociology, so I can sort of speak to complex topics to a layperson. The Internet of Things is not complicated. It's just smart things that can connect to a network and tell you stuff about it. It's not just measuring temperature in your house, but it can tell me stuff about it. What's the internal temperature of the thermostat? How many times has the temperature been adjusted? Okay. How often are people in the home? Anyone have a Google Nest thermostat? Okay. Google Nest knows how often you're home. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yes, there you go. <laughs> Has anybody heard of the term digital transformation? Okay. Does any, can anyone define it for me? That's normally the answer. Okay. Digital transformation is really simple. Okay. And I'm going to lay out all these industrial revolutions. Digital transformation is the process of going from industry 3.0 to industry 4.0. That's all it is. It's an iterative process. You guys are all industry 3.0 suppliers and distributors. And if you want to stay in business, you need to become industry 4.0 suppliers and distributors. And IBC is trying to make that happen for you. But you are all resisting far too much. Okay. All right. Let me scroll down here just a hair. What are the industrial revolutions? Real simple. Industry 0.0, which we don't actually call an industrial revolution, was the invention of the printing press by Gutenberg. Why was that important? Because the moment we invented the printing press, we were able to take the printed word to the masses. And we could share information easily over paper. Okay? That happened in the 15th century. And I promise you, there are people in this room right now who are still leveraging that technology to communicate. The 15th century. Okay? Industry 1.0 was the steam engine. It was that period of time. Okay? It, was the, it started with the steam engine. And it moved into industrialization. And Industry 2.0 was the assembly line in the 19th century. During the first and second industrial revolutions, we moved from making all of our own stuff to trading our labor to buy stuff from other people who made it for us. That's why it starred. The third industrial revolution happened in the 1970s, and it was the first time the United States made a mistake as it related to industry. Okay? You think about all the greatest company failures, they all started happening in the 70s. In 1975, Kodak was the second largest company in the world. In 1985, they weren't even in the top 100. Okay, Corning Glass is a, is a shell of what it used to be. And you can thank Apple for Corning Glass being in business. All the glass that's on your phones that they invented in the 1972 or three or something, and just sat on a shelf for 40 years, okay, Gorilla Glass. In the 1970s, the third industrial revolution is really simple. It's the automation of manufacturing processes. It was when we went from relay logic, people pushing buttons to make things go, to using computers, programmable logic controllers. 
And from the 1970s through the early 90s, you had companies who adopted that technology and you had companies that did not, okay? The Germans adopted that technology immediately. The Japanese adopted that technology immediately. Americans did not. About 50% adopted. About one in 12 survived without acquisition or going bankrupt, okay? I want you to remember the third industrial revolution, okay? I want you to remember the space and time because we're gonna talk about supply chain 4.0 here in a couple of minutes and that's a key period of time. It's where you guys were all born. Okay, your companies were all born, most of them, in this time. Okay, you can thank Lee Iacocca for that, by the way. Right. Industry 4.0 is data and information in the 2000s. Networks, all those smart things that we installed during the third industrial revolution, okay, the internet, made the fourth industrial revolution possible. We could literally connect anything anywhere. And what you guys don't know, this should be a real, I almost dropped an F-bomb there. Um, a mind scrambler for you. Um, is 5G. Anybody heard of 5G? Anybody think it's a big deal? You better. See these networks that we have in here? Like uh, right now we had to, I had to tip the AV guy 20 bucks to do all this, you know, get us on a fast connection, 800 meg connection, so we could live stream to our audience on YouTube, okay? Three years from now, that cable will not be needed. Most people don't know here that 5G is gonna fundamentally transform our lives, not just at home, but at work too. Literally overnight, Every manufacturer who couldn't afford to install the infrastructure to connect all their smart stuff will have the infrastructure everywhere around them. 4G isn't quite fast enough. 20 meg doesn't allow you to transfer lots of data. 5G has a 500x impact. You won't have a network at home. You won't have a core in your plant or in your office. You're not gonna have a data center. You're gonna be on the world's infrastructure. That's the impact of 5G. And that changes everything. Changes everything. If I'm, and does anybody here sell switches or do you guys, any of you guys, is there anything that you guys sell, uh, any network components or any of the distributors and suppliers? None of that stuff, right? Okay, those people are in trouble. A lot of trouble. But industry 4.0, very simply, is this. It's the automation of business process. Every time. Every time you, you're a president, right? So you get many executive summaries. Those executive summaries are mostly probably sent through email and you probably have your web developer doing some dashboard stuff, right? No more through email. It's automating those processes. Right now, you go to the dashboard, you look at the dashboard for a problem. A problem that before you had put into your head, this could be a problem. I own many companies. There's no way for me to look at all the dashboards. 
So just by virtue of my need to review P&Ls and balance sheets for that many companies, we needed to automate that process. So instead of me looking for the problem, I needed to be notified of the problem. That's the impact on business. That's the automation of business processes. You know, Scott did this presentation, which I thought was phenomenal, by the way. Did this presentation about, um, you know, all the various connections between suppliers and distributors within the IBC ecosystem, right? Not every supplier works with every distributor, right? Not every distributor works with every supplier. So what's the first thing that everyone does? You, you make a operational decision to not connect to the supplier or distributor I don't work with. Why in God's name do you do that? You want to know what the supply chain of the future is? Yeah. It's every supplier. It's every distributor to every end user. Every supplier, every distributor to every end user. The first question I asked after that presentation, I don't remember who I asked, I think it was Carrie, was what is, what is IBC doing to connect consumers into the IBC Connect ecosystem? Right, that's the obvious next step. Okay. All of these companies, Tesla, Amazon, Toyota AI Ventures, uh, Pfizer, um, Coca-Cola, um, and all of the emerging companies, some legacy, some emerging, they all understand the value of data and information in a digital format for one reason and one reason only. Uh, what was your name again? I'm sorry. The, the guy next to you. Patrick. Right. So you're the one with all the data. You're, you're a visionary, which is the reason I'm, you know, we had a conversation. You get it, right? Um, so if you want to know, what, you should talk to Patrick. Okay? If you need to be convinced. You want to blow your mind? The value of machine learning is not in testing hypotheses you come up with. Okay? That is, I think this antecedent, this thing may cause this outcome, this problem. You think that. Therefore, I need this data point on this dashboard to measure the antecedent, put a value around it, and if we go outside those values, I let's try to mitigate the disaster. That's easy, that's, that's small potatoes, that's easy stuff to do. Get any data scientist and they can do that for you. The real value Data, artificial intelligence, is finding patterns in data we can't find with the naked eye. Coming up with the hypotheses you're supposed to test. Think about all the KPIs that you guys use to determine whether or not your business is doing good or bad. Whether my relationship with the client is good or bad. Whether this order is gonna be fulfilled goodly or badly. Think about all those KPIs. Where did they come from? They came from people. People suck at that stuff. People suck at three things, okay? They suck at collecting data. That is, if you're using human beings to put data in spreadsheets, 
at the best case scenario is 60% fidelity. 60%? At the best case, that's world class. It's a 60% fidelity number. Number two, human beings are terrible at doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again in perpetuity. They get bored, they get distracted, they're going through a divorce, their kids are sick. They're terrible at those things. And number three, human beings are not good at admitting what they don't know. What are human beings great at? Deflection. Deflection is a good one, yes. Making excuses, right? The answer is innovating. Human beings are exceptional at innovating. Here's another one that will blow your mind. The poorest person on the planet today is better off than the wealthiest person who lived in 1947. Does anybody disagree with me? The poorest person living today is better off than the wealthiest person living in 1947. And how do we measure that? Lifespan. It's the best measure. The poorest person on earth today has a longer expected lifespan than the wealthiest person on the planet in 1947. Innovation did that. Human beings did that. So that's point two. You need to think like innovators today. All right? So how is industry 4.0 changing manufacturing? What are manufacturers up to right now? Okay, I'm gonna show you a slide which is the manufacturing holy grail here in a second. And the implications of this is that we are moving towards the new supply chain. This is your implication. What, what do we have for time? And when am I going till? Just over an hour. All right, we're going to take a five-minute break. You guys can go ahead and use the restroom real quick, and we're going to go over this piece, right? Yeah, yeah. The mic, the mic died right at the end, so but I got it. it it's back online now, so. Oh, what's up, brother? Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, did he really? My, uh, that's where I did my question. Um, Rick Beato is my favorite. You know, he's a famous music producer from Rochester. He lives in Atlanta. Pleasure. Who are you working with? Is he, uh, I gotta use the restroom. You do want to Thank you. Thank you. 
Serving audio is great again. Home, everybody leaving 
scared but skipping at the same time. What percentage of your guys' business is, um, at the end, manufacturers? A lot? Yes, 90%. 90% of your business, is it? 100%. 100%. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through what manufacturers are doing right now. Everyone in our community, uh, the industry 4.0 community, um, they've, they've heard this before, and they're all actively doing this stuff. Okay. Um, manufacturers have been going through this process of digital transformation for a couple of years now. Part of the reason Tesla and Amazon have been able to take over the world is because they started after the fourth industrial revolution. Okay? They didn't have technical debt. They didn't have legacy business processes to overcome. They didn't try to do something in the 1990s and it cost too much and it failed. And so now in their head, they think that thing's not possible. Right? They started after the fourth industrial revolution. So risk number one for anybody in the supply chain with going through digital transformation is your previous success. Okay? It's the way we've already done it. This has worked for us in the past. We tried that, didn't work out. That's your number one risk, okay? So normally when we're doing these engagements with clients, the first thing I'll say is forget everything you know about your business while we're sitting in this room. And when you leave, go draw the perfect business on a whiteboard. Okay? So if you're the decision maker in your organization, that's item number two. Leave here and go draw. If you were to start all over today and none of the current systems that you have existed, None of the current employees you had existed. None of the current clients you had existed. And you were going to start all over. What would you build with the technology that exists today? Labor through that process. Take five steps back. Look at that whiteboard and say, there's someone out there doing that right now. And what does that mean for my business? Okay. What are your customers doing? So part of the reason you should listen to us is because the biggest manufacturers in the world listen to us. If you look at the largest enterprise industry 4.0 infrastructures in the world, they're all designed by me. They're designed by our team, our engineers who are watching this live stream. There's only a couple of companies on the planet who got started early enough. Okay. Um, because of NDAs, I can't share that, but the suppliers got to hear some of the names yesterday. Um, but because we're live streaming, I obviously can't share that. But if you want to ask me privately who they are, I'd be happy to share that with you. All of the biggest companies in the world and all of the emerging companies in the world are doing this. And I'm going to show you how they're doing it. And then I'm going to show you that IBC is doing the same thing for you right now. Okay? They're making a fully integrated business made up of digital factories. What is a digital factory? Very simple, right? 
um, my smartphone over there. You know, we're all Androids, right? Every one of us is an Android. Why are we Androids? Correct. All of human knowledge. Anything ever learned, ever documented, ever thought up, right here. Answer any question. Repair my refrigerator. Buy a new car. Plan a vacation. Where are my kids? What are their grades? All right. What's my net worth? What movie was that guy in again? All of human knowledge in this little thing. Do you have this little thing for your business? Does anybody have this little thing for their business? Every piece of data and information you could ever want about your business, when you want, where you want, how you want, and in the format you want? They do. They've created digital ecosystems using a concept called the unified namespace. That's the only technical term I'm gonna use in the presentation. I have to because I need to show you what it is IBC Connect is doing that is right in line with the same technology all of your customers are using, okay? They're making a smartphone for a smart factory. Do you know where job growth comes in the United States? If you're a supplier, please don't answer this, but where does job growth come in the United States through the fourth industrial revolution? The answer is this. Stakeholders will decide whether or not to execute operational adjustments from artificial intelligence and machine learning. You will have operations analysts based in the United States who run plants all over the world. If we're first, we have to be first. All the problems that we have in the United, I'm a sociologist, social scientist. All the problems we have in the Western world can be tied back to the decline in the middle class. Does anybody disagree? I don't think anyone is gonna disagree with the statement that all of the social issues we face in the United States can be tied back to the middle class, the decline of the middle class. So without rejuvenating the middle class, social strife becomes worse and worse and worse. So we all have a vested interest in rejuvenating the middle class. It's not altruism, it's selfishness. It's also good business, okay? Your customers are making a smartphone for a smart factory. And you better craft your businesses to be able to connect to it. And you better craft your businesses so they can connect to yours. If not, you're gonna be one of those people five years from now looking back in this presentation and saying, we fucked up. Everything and everyone is plugged into the network. Do you have people who work for you who don't have email addresses and they don't get internet access and stuff? Manufacturers do. Not everybody on the plant floor is connected to the network. Do you restrict access on your networks? Do you put filters on? Don't let people go on Facebook. Don't let them go on YouTube. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Your employees are not children. They're professionals. 
and you will benefit greatly from the cultural diffusion they can get from the data and information they can access. And it far outweighs the lost productivity from people watching, I don't know, whatever viral video on YouTube. Tesla doesn't restrict access to their employees on the internet. Neither does Amazon, neither does any of the bleeding edge organizations on the planet. You're using the right technology right now. You mentioned AI technology centered around security, right? Most companies aren't doing that. I mean, you're a visionary. And I mean, everyone in this room should be talking to you. Why are you a visionary and we're not? And that's the, hard, the cold, hard truth. I'm not saying everyone here is not visionary. There are other visionaries in the room. I only know you're a visionary. Number two, the layers of the business are all integrated and operate based on data and information from all of the other layers in real time. Real quickly, all manufacturers operate exactly the same way. Doesn't matter what you make, doesn't matter where you make it, you do it the exact same way. You sell stuff in your CRM, you plan to manufacture it in your ERP, you execute the manufacturing in it, of it in the manufacturing execution system, you monitor your plant in the supervisory control and data acquisition system, okay? you monitor and control your machines through HMIs and PLCs, you take the stuff that come off those machines and put them in a warehouse management system, then you use a shipping system to get it out to your customers, then you use AR and AP to get paid, and then you ask your salespeople to call your customers and find out if you want to buy more. Every single manufacturer does it exactly the same way. And because they all do it exactly the same way, you can create a unified technology that works for all manufacturers. And that's what everyone's doing. That's called the unified namespace. Everyone here, the thousands of people who will watch this video, the 4,000 members or 3,000 members we have in the industry 4.0 Discord server, which I'm gonna show you in a little bit. There are professionals from all organizations. Okay, you have engineers from General Electric, General Electric. you have the, C, the former CEO of PTC Technologies who, in, who was the key inventor of the ThingWorks system. You have Arlen Nipper, the inventor of the MQTT communications protocol. A who's who in that Discord server? All the brightest minds who are helping these organizations transform are part of that community, and many of them are watching right now. But what we're doing is using a concept called the unified namespace so that we can integrate those layers of the business together. And what does that mean? It means every time you take paper from one place to another, that's a layer. That's a layer in your business through your workflow. Okay? Common problem in manufacturing. Two common problems. The salespeople who work within the CRM never know the state of the production order on the plant floor. They never know where that production order is. We promise the customer we deliver in eight weeks. We do not know until it gets to shipping that it's been done. The salespeople are blind. The CSRs are blind in all the companies who are going to die or get bought up. All right. Integrating the layers together means giving the CSRs full visibility into the life cycle of their sale. 
Not, hey, Becky, where is that on the schedule? Hey, Bobby, where are we on production? Hey, where did that crate, where did that pallet go in the warehouse? Knowing in real time, on vacation, at home, in their office, on the other side of the world. Number three, stakeholders know the state of the business in real time. Interesting fact, Bezos, before he sat down at Amazon, he carried an iPad with him everywhere he went. Okay? Before every interview, before every meeting, he would bring up one dashboard. Okay? And that dashboard would tell him which fulfillment center was the most profitable in the organization, which one was a trouble spot, and it would literally tell him which vice president he had to call and chew out. He didn't have to make the decision himself. That's not possible without digitally transforming, interconnecting your business using digital tools. This is the money. The stakeholders know the future state of the business in real time. If Amazon can predict what you're gonna buy 60 days from now, imagine what they can do with cash flow. Imagine what you could do with cash flow. I asked in the supplier meeting yesterday, what was your biggest pain point? Suppliers, biggest pain point. I don't know if the guy who answered is in here, but he said cash flow. Pain of all organizations, right? Don't want to be sitting on too much cash. It's bad business. Constantly fighting because you're sitting on not enough cash. And then that huge order you thought was going to go through didn't. Or the, or the raw materials you need for that huge order didn't, don't show up. The reason it's in red is because if we collect data about the state of our business digitally and we store it and it's accurate, we can use digital tools to analyze that data, look at the pattern over the, say, the last 24 hours, look at our history and predict tomorrow, predict a week from now, predict a month from now. But you can't do that without collecting the data first. And you can't do that without digital tools. If I bought Microsoft tomorrow, which I can't, I wish I could, but I can't. Um, actually, I'd probably move to Mars if I had that kind of money, actually. But um, if I bought Microsoft and blew up Excel tomorrow, how many of you would be out of business? Honestly, raise your hand. Have you ever tried to import a, an Excel document with formulas in it into Google Sheets? Yeah. How many of you use Excel on a daily basis? Okay, that's more like it. So you would all be in trouble, right? You'd all be in trouble. Stop using Excel. The best place to start in your digital transformation journey right after you codify your strategy is to take all those spreadsheets and turn them into digital events and transactions. And by the way, that's exactly where any uh, integrator, any consultant is gonna start. Show me all your spreadsheets. Show me every report you're given every day. And they start with building the underbelly to make that happen automatically. 
Number four, we leverage machine learning and artificial intelligence to collect and analyze data information. I'm not gonna to touch on that. Can't do it without being technical, and we're a bit asked not to be. Machine learning's role is real simple. Predict future outcomes based on past patterns of future state. Artificial intelligence recommends the operational adjustments. Don't run this production order at this time on that production line. Run it at this time on that production line. Don't use this supplier. Don't use this raw material SKU. Use this one. Use this alternative one. Why? Because our equipment effectiveness is 6% higher uh, when we use this raw material on that SKU. All the things that you rely on human beings to try and do that falls through the cracks, that's where machine learning and artificial intelligence comes in. But you can't do it if you don't collect the data. You can't collect the data without digital tools. Okay? All of your customers are doing this. And here's how they're doing it. We build architectures that leverage a concept called the unified namespace. Now, if anybody who saw Scott's presentation yesterday for IBC Connect 101, this should look awfully familiar. It should look very, very familiar to you. The difference is that all of the nodes in Scott's presentation were either suppliers or distributors. This is what a manufacturer is building right now. Every digital tool is interoperating with one another through the same unified namespace, a single source of truth for all data and information for their entire business. Every single event, what happened and when it happened through one interface. We were talking about databases earlier. This is not a database, but Every time a data point transitions, it gets stored in a database. This is the single source of truth for all data and information. IBC, you, everyone's confused right now. You're not technical, right? There are, are there any engineers here? One engineer, okay. If you're not an engineer, you should be confused. That's where IBC comes in. You may not have joined IBC for this reason, but it is certainly a benefit of being a member. I don't come across many organizations who get this right without our help or a consultant's help. And I don't know if you guys use consultants, but you got it right. IBC Connect is right. Architecturally, I don't know under the hood, right? But this is what manufacturers are doing. What do manufacturers do when they want to connect many plants together? They do that. The IBC Connect ecosystem can connect to this if you do it right. What's your plan for becoming a member of the supply chain of the future? One person's got to give me a plan. You guys can being connected to the manufacturers that are our customers. Is that your plan? Part of the plan, yes. Take one step further. Uh, also everything. Manufacturers who are not your customers. No. All right. So he said our plan is to be connected to the manufacturers who are our customers. Correct. But why stop there? Now the light bulb should be going off. 
automating access to markets, right? Now you're gonna be able to allow the customers to drive the connections to you, be able to call out into an ecosystem. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z, and all the suppliers and all the distributors who offer X, Y, and Z will now be notified of that request. Does that sound appealing to suppliers and distributors? How do you stop the race I'm sorry, what? Innovation. So it's a good question. The question is for those of you guys, how do you stop the race to the bottom, to the cheapest, the worst? It boils down to this. We're moving to a global economy, okay? So who I buy from is not always a function of price. Who I buy from is not always a function of price. I hope that you guys aren't always buying from the cheapest supplier. You buy from the cheapest supplier when all other things are equal. What does this type of thing give you? It gives you the ability to demonstrate to the consumer how you're not equal. Please. Why would a customer and end user that you don't do business with and or a supplier you don't do business why would they be cooperative to be connected with you? What's, the, what's in it for me for them? What's in it for them? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, COVID was a blessing. COVID was a blessing. Tesla makes, I'm gonna go, go through the history of supply chain here in a second, okay? Tesla makes basically every single one of their parts. They're their own suppliers and distributor, except for one component. Does anybody care to guess what that is? Microchips. Right now, if you wanna buy a Model Y, you gotta wait till April for one reason and one reason only, microchips. So the answer to your question is, if I'm a visionary manufacturer, my hedge against the next supply chain disruption is access to people who can supply to me. And by the way, every CEO who works for a manufacturer is having this conversation right now. They're actually having a more comprehensive discussion, which we're gonna go over next. Any other questions? It's a great question. Also a great question. It means you guys get it. Let's talk about the history of supply chain. Companies initially focused on vertical integration. So Ford originally made all their own stuff. Okay? And through the, the early two, uh, 20th century, everyone was their own supplier and their own distributor for the most part. They were focused on supplying and distributing to themselves all the things that they could do. And they only outsourced in rare occasions to specialists. Tooling is a good example, right? They didn't make their own tooling. It's hard to make tooling, okay? It's hard to keep those people employed. It's hard to get the raw materials. But in the late 1970s, Industry 3.0, when Japan and the Germans started leveraging technology to do more with less, and American companies did not, what did they have to do? They needed to be able to compete. And Sir Iacocca was the first to make the decision to break apart vertical integration and outsource the supply chain. 
That's what happened in the 1970s and everybody followed suit. And they all got 20 to 40% reduction in their costs on average. And in the best case, they got 200 to 300% reduction. So the companies that stayed alive in the United States specifically did it through outsourcing supply chain. For all you guys come in. Guess what happened in 2008, 2009? Okay. Most manufacturers realized they squeezed all the efficiency out of outsourcing the supply chain. They couldn't make it any more efficient. And those of you who had a chance to see the, the continuous improvement S-curve I showed yesterday, basically you capture all the gains and then you plateau off. Okay, That's where that, that little S-curve is. So what happened? Well, a funny thing happened on the way to the rodeo. Okay, Amazon and Tesla, again, you're going to hear their names over and over and over and over again. They realized outsourcing was a bad idea. That by outsourcing, I couldn't connect to the data and information about the manufacturing processes. And I was beholden to their ability to deliver for me. Tesla initially used the standard automotive supply chain to build the original Teslas. And what did Elon Musk realize? That's not gonna work for us. So they brought everything back in-house. And the, the money quote, leveraging real-time data and information across the supply chain provides far more value than outsourcing. All right, so what would happen if every manufacturer insourced all their supply chain? Well, you guys would probably be in trouble, right? Okay. So what are they going to do? Are they going to insource? No. They're going to make you part of their virtual insource supply chain. And in order for you to join that virtual insource supply chain, you have to connect to their ecosystem. In order to connect to your eco their ecosystem, you got to be leveraging the digital tools that will do it. Okay, so if you look at what IBC is doing here, you know, and I'm, I'm in your office and I'm whiteboarding the future of the company, the five-year plan, right? You guys are rolling out digital tool after digital tool. You're learning from that process. You're improving them, right? You're throwing stuff away. You're adding new stuff, right? Five years from now, the future of IBC is that you're all unified as a single unit. And IBC will have the opportunity to plug into the virtual ecosystems of the people you sell to. Now, I didn't talk to you about this, but this is what I do for a living. And it's the direction you're going, or you're not going anywhere. I promise you. Okay? Here's why. Right now, you know, the standard supply chain, supplier, distributor, wholesaler. Right? The supplier only talks to the distributor, and the distributor talks to the wholesaler and to the end user. And in the rare occasion, the supplier talks to the end user. That's called linear point-to-point -point process flow, and it doesn't work. It's not scalable. Scott does a really, really great job of demonstrating it in his IBC Connect slide. All the thousands and thousands and thousands of connections you need in order to talk to all the people you need to talk to. It's the equivalent of trying to set up a direct phone connection between you and every person you need to talk to, instead of talking to them through the phone switch. 
right? Some people in here are old enough to remember party lines, right? Party phone lines. I, that's just, I was just after party lines. I remember hearing it one time. Party lines were a function of trying to set up direct connections to all the people you ever wanted to talk to. We don't use those anymore, okay? So what does the future supply chain look like? And what do you guys need to move toward? And then we'll do our call to action. Supply chains are gonna be made up of nodes with their own unified namespaces. All you need to think about is a hub in the middle. For you guys, think IBC Connect or some other technology that IBC creates for you. Why? Because it's a shared resource. Not every organization in here can afford to make the capital spend to make this a reality. Right? Organizations are gonna do that for you. You guys are already on that path. Even if it's not your roadmap, even if it's not your roadmap, that's the path you're on. You just may not know it. This has taken form in vertically integrated companies first, and it'll extend to horizontally integrated companies second. But they'll need to digitally transform first. Data and information will be available and shared in real time across the entire supply chain, not linearly from point to point. So I don't need the distributor to inform me that I've got a problem with the supplier. I'll be notified I got a problem with the supplier. And go through the distributor. Supplier doesn't need to be notified by the distributor. We got a problem with the customer, the end user. The supplier will be notified by the end user. At the same time, the distributor is notified. The same event. That's why customers have to become part of this ecosystem. So instead of linear point to point, pop, 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 it looks something like this. Suppliers, distributors, consumers, all around a hub, interoperating with one another through the same unified namespace. Zach, where are we on time? Uh, we've got like 30 minutes. Good. I, I, wanna, yeah, I wanted to leave 20 minutes for questions. Yep. You, you keep talking about problems. What about opportunities? I mean, not everything is a problem. Some there's a need at one end, but also. Say that again? You keep talking about, well, there's a problem. Well, what about opportunities? Somebody has an opportunity for a need. Does this also deal with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But. What I'm trying to do, if I'm going to do a call to action, which I'm going to do here in a second, what I want to do is focus on the problems you're already aware of, not the opportunities you're not aware of. There are problems that all of you already have. All the references that I've made in this conversation should be references you can relate to. Right? That's, all, that's the only reason I'm doing that. Um, so back to the meat and potatoes. How will distributors, suppliers, and wholesalers be impacted? You tell me, based on this presentation, how will suppliers and distributors be impacted in this new world? They're not easy like, to connect with. They're just not going to Okay. How many people order from Target and Walmart online? Okay. So I saw three, right? You go to Target's website, four, five, six. You know, Target and Walmart have spent billions of dollars over the last four years trying to catch up to Amazon. 
on e-commerce. Do you know what part of the market they've captured by being last? It's 8, 8% of the market. Eight. Captured 8% of the market. Do you know when people go to Target and Walmart? When they can't get it on Amazon in the timeline that they want it, or there's something specific they're looking for, or they went to the store and they didn't have it and they decided to order it while they're standing in the store. Even though Target and, and Walmart are hyper-focused on repeating what Amazon did. I mean, that's their primary goal. So the calls to action, and then I wanna I'm open the floor to questions. I'm also gonna ask you guys questions. Um, number one, visit our YouTube channel and go to iot.university. There were some videos that I was showing as you guys were coming in. That is, what is Industry 4.0? Right? What is digital transformation? At iiot.university, um, there's a free IIoT mini course. I think it's eight videos. It's all in layman's terms. Okay, so it's for non-technical people. I think it's eight videos. Is it 30 minutes to get all the way through, Zach? Eight videos to get 30 minutes. It's a crash course. Wait, two hours? Oh, okay. Um, it's a crash course in the industrial internet of things and we highlight how your customers' businesses are changing, okay? Number two, most important, you have to define your digital strategy, okay? Does anybody know how to do that? All right, step number one, if you're the decision maker, if you're the decision maker, ask yourself, what is our digital strategy? We don't have one. Why don't we have a digital strategy? The answer is, uh, we have other problems we've been working on, we haven't prioritized it, we're not focused. What do we do about the digital strategy? We partner with someone who can help us craft one. Okay? The very first step, the only thing that you have to do is get up, walk out, have your primary focus be creating your digital strategy. One to three sentences that every single person in your organization can recite by memory. I can call Matthew John Cox at Tesla right now. I can ask him to pick a random employee on the floor, hand him his cell phone, and I can ask them what the digital strategy is, and they'll be able to recite it off the top of their head. An example digital strategy statement is something like this. We use real-time data and information to drive decision-making efficiently and for better outcomes for our customers. We use a unified namespace to make that easy. That's an example digital strategy statement. And anything you do related to data and information that doesn't manifest the digital strategy is grounds for termination. No, it's something you have to correct. Okay. Is there anybody here who doesn't think crafting a digital strategy is important for your business? Is there anyone here who thinks I'm full of shit? Okay. Number three, get help. Okay. And this is not me trying to get you to hire us. 
We will help you if you want us to. But we have many members, okay, all over the world who are watching the live stream right now on our Industry 4.0 Discord server, which I'm going to show you here in a second, which I encourage you to join so that you can connect to people who are going through this journey. Some of them are in supply chain. Some of them, most of them are in manufacturing. Potential customers. Okay. This is a new venture for us. We started Supply Chain 4.0 just this summer. We've been doing digital transformation for manufacturers since 2013. We didn't even focus on suppliers and distributors until we got the manufacturers on the right path. But you need help on your journey. You already have some help in IBC, right? All right, questions for me while I ask you questions. Who do you work for right there? You, you talked to me earlier, right? Yeah. Who, do you, who do you work for? All right, why haven't you digitally transformed? What's your role in the organization? Integration is a bad word. Is it because of IP, intellectual property? Uh, just the, uh, the owners, this corporation, but the board is stuck in the 70s. Trying to do everything I can to integrate. It's a, it's a wall. Okay. What's the, what's the primary objection to integration? Right here. I've seen. And uh, national suppliers. That's what happened to our business is uh, we had all our eggs in one basket. And three major companies walked into work, Duke Energy and uh, Mosaic. They all, in 2003, all three of them at the same time, decided to go national and pushed all the local suppliers aside. Why did they go national? And I think because of your, what you're telling us right now, they, they have to Are you guys fans of Granger? Or not? No. <laughs> Why are you not fans of Granger? You're a fan? Consumers are fans, right? I know I'm a fan. Why are you not fans? Are they? I'm a fan because they're a low hanging fruit price wise. Okay. Just have to get to that point where you can get the customer. Are there things that Granger does that you could learn from? Do you learn from those things? Do, I, do you learn from those things? Do you feel like your organizations learn from those things? Okay. Why do you think that is? Because you don't like them. <laughs> Straight up, you don't like them. I mean, they got nine billion. They got you know that's what they do. And you know they're trying to put us out of business, and we're trying to survive. But they're putting all the capital in. Why shouldn't we take what they did without putting our capital in and learn from that? What's Amazon's primary focus? Zach will be able to answer this question. Just to get over the website. No. It's the same same focus that Steve Jobs had at Apple. Customer experience. 
Steve Jobs used to speak over and over and over again. Start with the customer experience and work your way back. How many of you try to fit your customer's round peg into your square hole? Start with their round peg. Amazon, customer experience. Employees be damned, actually. Customer experience. There's a great speech that Steve Jobs gave, gave uh, after coming back to Apple after seven years. Have you guys seen this speech? You seen it? Okay. This developer, when Jobs came back, Jobs got fired. He brought in, the, I think, the president of Pepsi, right, to run. He said, do you want to sell sugar water? Do you want to change the world? And the guy came to run Apple. And then Jobs got fired by the board because, well, he was a jerk. Seven years later, he came back with Apple on the brink of bankruptcy. Uh, I think eight weeks. I think they're, they were down to eight weeks burn, right? And he makes a key decision to kill OpenDoc and go with Java. Now, you guys aren't technical, but in our world, that's a big deal, okay? He makes a key decision to literally blow OpenDoc out and make the Java ecosystem or the Apple ecosystem built on Java. And he goes to a huge, uh, the developer conference. And one of the developers stands up and says, Mr. Jobs, you're obviously a bright and accomplished man. And Jobs says, here it comes. And he lifts up a stool. He knows he's about to get blasted. And then the guy says, but on many accounts, it's clear you don't know what you're talking about. So what I want you to do, well, two things for me. I want you to articulate all of the key value points, all the things, how Java encapsulates all the things that OpenDoc was designed for, number one. And number two, I want you to tell us what you've been doing for the last seven years. Has anybody seen this video? I promise you, you will watch it after you leave this presentation. It is a masterclass in putting someone in their place. Bob said, you got all these smart people here. That's basically what he said. Get all these smart people here, and you're nearly bankrupt. Because the technology means nothing if the customer doesn't want it. it means nothing. You have to start with the customer experience and work your way back. He said, when we built the laser writer, I'm not a technical guy. When we built a laser writer, I knew we could sell this. We could pick up the piece of paper and we could go, do you want that? It was that simple. What did Granger do? Do people go to Granger because they like the name? They're a big fan of red and white? No, most people prefer blue. 70% of people will pick blue over red, which is why most logos are blue. Why do they go to Granger? Because the customer experience is top notch. Granger focuses on customer experience. They're not trying to put you out of business. They're trying to serve their customers. And their leadership believes if they put the customer first, the customer experience first, everything else will take care of itself. How will you do that? And the answer is digital tools. And that starts with a digital strategy. Is anybody not convinced? Is anyone skeptical? 
I have a room full of believers. Okay? Does anybody need help with the next step? That is, when you leave the room and you're going to go talk to the decision makers, what should you say? Does anybody want to know what you should say? Yes. All right. I want you to walk up to the president of the company and I want you to ask him, what is our digital strategy? Okay? If he asks you to clarify, say, what is our digital strategy? Okay? If he gives you more than three sentences, tell him that is not a digital strategy. That's what you have to do. Please. Why wouldn't everybody's be what you just said? I'm sorry? Why wouldn't everybody's digital strategy be what you quoted? You're right. Everyone's digital strategy is some form of that. The third sentence is the one that differentiates you from the rest of the world. You notice I only gave you two. The third sentence is the one that differentiates you. Okay? And when we go through the digital transformation maturity assessment process, when we do that with an organization, we're helping them with that third sentence. There's another component, okay, which we didn't get into because I was asked to not do any technical stuff. But there's a concept called the minimum technical requirements. Right? So after you craft a digital strategy and you decide to join an ecosystem or build an ecosystem like you guys are going to, you have to define minimum technical requirements. I'm going to buy a piece of software. I'm going to buy a CRM. I'm going to buy, I'm going to use Sage for my ARAP. There are minimum technical requirements that you will go to Sage with and say, does your software do this, this, and this? If it doesn't, I can't use Sage. Please. So uh, this is interesting. Um, you you are uh, talking to companies that they need to evolve. We articulating that customer experience needs to be an underpinning. Uh, so as distrib for the distributors, uh, our distributors are using an IBC. Um, you start with the customer uh, and, and what that experience needs to be. But we have to be careful because the. Not all the customers are 4.0. So my question to you, Walker, is how does this distributor go out and ensure that they're talking to the right customers as to what sort of experience you should be building? Outstanding question, and I was actually going to ask a question to get to this point. How many of you do digital media? Uh, your organizations. So you guys do YouTube videos, LinkedIn, that kind of stuff? Right. All of you need to be doing that. What does digital media do? Right? Uh, you guys have sales groups, right? Business development people. And that's right. So here's what happens. The traditional sales model, the traditional sales model is to reach out to all the potential customers in the market, get some list to call, make 100 calls a day, you know, get three people to talk to you, talk to 10 people, schedule one meeting, have 10 meetings get one potential, that's all horseshit. Nobody does that anymore. If you're doing that, you should be ashamed. <laughs> okay, all of the biggest companies in the world work with my company, and we don't call anybody. They call us. They've already qualified themselves. They've qualified themselves through our digital media. Moth to a flame. That's part of the digital transformation maturity assessment. It is a multi-pronged attack to becoming a digital company. 
right? How many Tesla salespeople call you? How many emails does Tesla send you to come buy a Tesla car? They don't. Well, who here has bought a, uh, a car from like a Chevy dealership or a Ford dealership? How many emails do they send you? And how well do those emails work? Okay. It's a great question. The answer is you respond to the customers who have already qualified you. That's the future. Okay. Let them find you. Please. In this digital world, you know, I'm going to go back to the race to the bottom saying, if you take out the customers and you're not buying them, if you're saying, you know, here's a product that I need, everybody bids on this, you're not supplying customer experience, you've got no relationship with the customer, all you need to provide will be the lead time or price. How do you sell that over somebody else? Say that again. Say it one more time. Right, so if somebody says, Go ahead. Well, Zach, go ahead. So let me for the for those for those watching on the live stream, the question is: If in this digital world, okay, in this digital world, if it's not about relationships, by the way, it's not about relationships anymore, guys. It isn't. That's not something that's happening. That's something that's already happened. It isn't about relationships anymore. Okay, that's that's you holding on to fighting for a smaller and smaller piece of the market, not the market that's growing. And the question is, is how do you compete against 10 other distributors who, when the only differentiator is lead time and price? The answer is you have the best lead time and price. How do you achieve that? Through digital tools, okay? Nobody goes to Amazon, nobody goes to Granger because they like Granger, oh, I, got, I love that CSR. They don't do that. I, I understand that this is depressing for some people, right, this conversation. But you really should be encouraged. You should be encouraged by the opportunity it presents. Because guess what? No one else is doing this yet. You guys are the first suppliers and distributors I have spoken to. The first one. Why wouldn't that wipe out the distribution in general? Well, straight to supplier OEM right now. The answer is, is that it's not going to wipe out distribution. What you're going to see is the supply chain unify. And that's going to happen either way. That's not going to happen because of me. It's not going to happen because of you. That's going to happen because of technology. Either, go ahead, Zach, please. Well, I would say, even if you're purchasing through a digital ecosystem, suppliers still have the opportunity to differentiate on brand and being top of mind. So, people in business to business, they really buy, people are people, they buy like the same way they buy as a consumer. You have an affinity with people that you know, like, and trust. And so, the ecosystem. Maybe I want to correct, not, not necessarily people organizations and people. 
So like Streamwave is a wireless distributor of, of Ubiquiti's products. I love Ubiquiti's products. I could buy directly from them, but I might want to buy from Streamwave to support their channel, to support the content and value add beyond just price and lead time. Great question. You're presenting, you're making the argument, actually. <laughs> you're making the argument for digital transformation. You guys have, uh, real quick, you have a distinct advantage against the market right now. You know what I tell my kids all the time? And I'll get right to your question. So I have uh, four kids at home. I have an adopted daughter and three sons, uh, two 22-year-olds, 17 and 14. And we are a results-first family, no excuses, period. Discipline, respect, hard work. Those are our pillars, all right? Transparency, authenticity, expertise, humility, servant leadership. My kids get up at 4.50 in the morning. My three sons hit the gym by 5.30, and they don't do that because of me. I don't ask them to do that. They do that. My kids are all entrepreneurs. My son Jared, my 17-year-old, bought a trampoline yesterday. He's going to flip on Saturday, okay? You know what I say to my kids every time discipline becomes too hard? You know, discipline is the wherewithal to do what you have to do when you don't want to do it. That is sorely lacking in our world today, right? You know what I tell my kids? Yeah, the world's screwed up. But there's opportunity out there. There's an entire generation of kids raised with no discipline, no respect, and no sense of hard work. And you were. Shooting fish in a barrel. You guys have the same opportunity. This is literally the first supply chain group I've spoken to. I did one presentation on supply chain a couple of weeks ago. We had one podcast with a guy named Luke Small based in Washington who is a supply chain expert, okay? Maybe six months ago. You guys are, you guys are the guinea pigs. First opportunity. It's up to you to seize it. But can't you do different? So we do Amazon. There's things that we do it partly because there's things that my wife and I do you can't get. But it isn't all about price. I look at I look at the reviews at Legion. Couldn't this be part of it? It's our differentiator that you're a good company. Or to your point, not all brands are the same. So uh, and even not all name brands. But you could put other data points in this ecosystem too. Right? You can incentivize through rewards programs, right? What's the uh, what is it? Brand movers. Brand movers, right? There are many ancillary elements to drive value from your ecosystem. I'm not here to speak about the ancillary elements. You have very smart people, very capable people at IBC to do that for you, including members. What I'm here to tell you are what it is you must do, not optional. That's all I'm here for. Please, Scott. And, and you're talking a lot about customer experience, so we're talking about distributors looking at the people they sell to. Distributors for years have uh, been forced on the other side to, with the manufacturers, uh, to conti continually uh, reinforce the value to the, that they bring to the supply chain. And so, how do you, in this new world, um, you know, what is the role that the distributor brings to the supply channel? Um, it's 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 not it's uh, clearly it's not about having the right products in a physical location close to the end user because Amazon doesn't do that. 
So what what is the value that uh, in four dot zero that that distribution plays in between the suppliers and the customers? It's a great question. So what I'm going to do before I give my answer is I'm going to ask one of the distributors to tell me what you think the value is a distributor provides today and tomorrow. <laughs> Most of you should have started this journey five years ago. Granger started this journey in 2001. Okay. Granger's been the gold standard, right? The gold standard in customer experience since like 2001. But distributors, you tell me, what is the value you provide in this new world? Or are you thinking, well, suppliers are going to go direct to market. They don't need the distributor. If you're fully integrated and able to connect with your suppliers, then they're going to be like, oh, you're much easier to do business with than this guy over here. Plus, you have a great online presence. I see your YouTube channel. I see you on LinkedIn. Everyone's commenting on your Facebook that you're the best place to do business with. The answer is expertise. It's expertise. It's the value add. People ask the question all the time, what does the system integrator provide? The answer is expertise. That's what the distributor will provide in the supply chain of the future. In fact, everyone will provide expertise, not transactions, right? I mean, fundamentally, that's what changes, right? Moves from a transactional business race to the bottom where we try to focus on relationships and hope that salvages certain customer partnerships and we focus on providing actual value if you're if you're not a if you're not good at smoke and mirrors right hopefully all if you guys are in supply chain i would expect you know smoke and mirrors the checks in the mail it's going to be there lead times four weeks even though we know it's eight weeks you know, you're doing what you can, you're saying what you have to say to salvage the relationship, right? If you're really good at smoke and mirrors and you can rely on that all the time, then you don't have to focus on value, right? Because you can bail yourself out with smoke and mirrors. I mean, fundamentally what's gonna change is you're gonna provide real value and you're gonna focus on the value you're providing. I mean, what value does the distributor provide? Answer that question for me. I'll take that. I'll Please. Kind of piggyback the first question. Um, we're going to market the last six months with what we call ITI, Industrial Tooling Intelligence, <coughs> to be a differentiator for when we're down to you know, that price level. We tell our, our customers that are coming to us on that digital uh, platform that we will give you industrial tooling intelligence. What that means is we're going to reduce your inventory, cost savings, and business intelligence. Okay. There's the three things that we'll give them a book on the bus. Exhibit A. Exhibit A. Did any light bulbs come on there? Okay. Zach. So for the audience online who is not at this conference, they want to know, can you give us a high-level overview of what IBC Connect is? Uh, okay. So... <laughs> Scott's really much more appropriate to, to give. Can I give you a mic and have you answer that question? Uh, yeah. All right. Let me, let me do it. So I, I'll, I'll do the translation. All right. So here, here's Scott actually is an outstanding presenter. Outstanding presenter. 
Yeah, you do do use PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I should have saw that one coming. But the, um, all right, here, here's how I perceive IBC Connect. And I'm sorry, what's the president's name again? Ron, okay. I normally have somebody with me to remember all the names. Vision for IBC Connect is. But I do know what its future is. I have no idea what the vision is, but I know what its future is. It's an ecosystem. Okay. And for the viewers who are watching, the Industrial Buyers Consortium is a way of taking many local distributors and suppliers and putting them together and sort of co-oping business systems to be able to purchase at best value, get access to the, the right products, and get them in the hands of the people who need them, in a nutshell. Um, it's a way for smaller distributors to compete against the big, the big boys, right? IBC Connect is the industrial platform that they are building in between all of their members, and it provides um, support for all business transactions, right? Connecting distributors to suppliers. It's in its nascent stages, right? Even though the IDI, what was the original name? IDI Connect. IDI. The, the, it was, it, the development was started in 2008, right? So you guys are way ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve. You have a platform to start from. Number one, there was a thing about, you know, you do have to stop using Excel spreadsheets and you need to focus on big data and data lakes and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? You need to be moving away from spreadsheets consciously. Every time you see a spreadsheet, you need to get sick to your stomach. It has to be a conscious decision, please. Great question. So in fact, I had this conversation yesterday. If you're, whenever you're interacting with a digital tool, every time you're on your phone, your phone, there's actually, you have two components to that. There's a UI, the user interface, and then there is a back end. And that back end is always a database. That captures all of the events and the transactions and stores them. So, the way that you collect that data is you connect that database to a data lake, a bigger ecosystem to store all those transactions. In a nutshell, that's how it works. So as long as you're interacting with a digital user interface, then there already is a database in the back end for all those events. It already exists. The question is, is can I take that data store and connect it into the ecosystem I need to connect it to? And the answer is not always. That's where minimum technical requirements come in. So when you're gonna buy a piece of software, or you're gonna build a new website, your minimum technical requirements are the guidelines for your technical helpers to go by to make sure that everything interoperates with one another. It's not just standards, it's standardized technology. Okay, yeah. uh, From online. Um... What is to stop bad actors with access to the data from manipulating it for their own gain? Great. I have something like a thousand servers online that have been running for like four and a half years. I've given away the IP addresses to the whole world. And not as not a single intrusion. Okay. The biggest risk you have in your organization, security risk, 
ID10T faults, okay? ID10T fault is write ID10T as one word on a piece of paper, okay? It is somebody opening an email attachment they shouldn't open, okay? That's the, that is your number one primary risk. It is not the boogeyman in Iran infiltrating your network from the outside of your network. Doesn't mean they're not trying. Doesn't mean they're not trying, but that isn't your primary risk. And by the way, what I would argue is this, in the 22 years I've been doing this, this is the total number of times that I have seen a process network infiltrated by a bad actor in Iran or Russia, et cetera. All these things you see on TV or read in the paper about you know, Russian actors accessing, you know, break, you know, uh, infiltrating power plants and stuff, that was an ID10T fault, okay? Phishing attacks, those are your number one concern. Number one. And the technology that is it, Peter, what's his name again? Patrick, Patrick. I, got the, I got the first letter right. Um, the technology that Patrick is using is the technology most people should be using, okay? Any other questions? What's our time? All right, so let's close it out, all right? What are the action items? Please go to our YouTube channel. There's a bunch of playlists in there on Industry 4.0 that will quickly get you up to speed on what's going on in industry. Did anybody take a chance to take a look last night uh, from the supplier side? Did anybody? It's incredibly valuable. We have, I've spent a million dollars of my own money creating that content. I think we've made $300,000, give or take. So I'm 700,000 in underwater. We're doing this for educational purposes only. I only charge because I have a board of directors that makes me. Otherwise, I'd be giving all this away. We've spent a million dollars on that content and we give it to the world. Right? IIoT.university, there's an IIoT mini course that's free. You should take it. Okay? If you don't put the D in the middle, right? If you, if you don't take the course, put the D in the middle. That's right. If you don't put the D in the middle, yes. Yes. <laughs> Number two, digital strategy needs to be your primary goal. If there is anything that you remember from this conference, anything, 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 what is our digital strategy? And don't stop until you get an answer. And number three, get help, all right? Um, if there's no more questions, I truly appreciate you guys hearing me out. Hopefully this was valuable. If it wasn't, we wanna know. To the audience online, thank you guys for sticking it out. I will see you guys next week in the live Q&A. Thank you very much.